Bad news, your wife is broken. Good news, so are you. She is generally and specifically broken, but how you love her through that brokenness will either break or make your marriage. Today we interview author and podcaster Heidi St. John about a woman's perspective of how a man can love his bride through her brokenness. You will take away some practical ways to change your bride's heart and in so doing, change your marriage. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, sponsored by Mountain Tough Fitness Lab, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide of Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men, guiding you to your best version in the stress bubble of life and beyond. Hey, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you one of our uh, hero stories. As you know, we're gathering a hero story for every day of the year this year, and this is hero story number 479. I thought it was really ironic and appropriate for today's podcast episode, uh, and this is based on a video that I put out several months ago talking about loving your wife through your brokenness. And uh, this man sent me a message in all caps. And he said, I have to tell you this. I needed to hear this today. And I know, know the Lord had you tell me this. I will do this definitely. So Dennis, thanks a lot, man. Hit us up. And Dennis actually wrote in through YouTube. So Dennis, thanks a lot. Hit us up with your physical address. We want to send you some swag just to say Thank you. Hey, guys, I'm excited to bring my guest on today, Heidi St. John. Now, guys, as you know, uh, we mostly have men on this podcast, but, man, we've got a power hitter 
at the plate today. She is going to rock your world, and I think she's going to help you to love your wife better than you've ever loved your wife. I'm super excited about this. She lives in Vancouver, Washington, just up the road with me, from me with her husband of 34 years, Jay. So Heidi's the author of nine books, including Becoming Mom Strong, How to Fight with All That's in You for Your Family and Your Faith. It's corresponding book, Becoming Mom Strong Bible Study, and her latest Mom Strong 365, a one-year devotional to encourage and empower everyday moms. Her podcast, listen to this, guys, Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. Gosh, that sounds a lot like a women's version of Men in the Arena. Has been downloaded 20 million, that's an M, million times. Heidi's been married to her college sweetheart, Jay, since 1989. The St. John's live up the road from us just outside of Vancouver, Washington, where they run their nonprofit Firmly Planted Family and the Homeschool Resource Center. They have seven children and four grandchildren. It's my pleasure to bring Heidi St. John on today. Heidi, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Let's go. Yeah, I almost said it's good to have you on the show, man, because I always have dudes on. So I, I, if I call you a guy or a man, just realize that I re recognize your femaleness on the show. <laughs> well, I mean, no one knows what a woman is anymore. Well, so, you know, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, okay. So, hey, uh, t hey tell, us about, tell us about your organization and what you do. Let's start there. Yeah, so Jay and I have been running a nonprofit organization now for coming up on 30 years. Uh, it's called Firmly Planted Family, and uh, our primary focus really for a long time was getting homeschool cooperatives in churches. So we planted over 100 of them in churches around the country. We are both Multnomah people. My husband graduated from Multnomah School of the Bible a uh, long time ago, and uh, and we went directly into ministry. He was a pastor for 20 some odd years before that, he had a band appropriately called St. John. So they traveled all over the place. My husband is a very gifted guitarist. He was the lead guitar. Uh, in fact, they used to open for Petra, did all kinds of fun things. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, back in the, oh, back so in the early uh, 90s. And then uh, I published a book a long time ago. And that book, uh, someone sent it to Dr. Dobson. Dr. Dobson gave me a call and said, hey, you're you're talking about marriage. And it sounds to me like your message needs to get out. And so he had me on his show. Wow. And that really exploded the platform that we now uh, have. I, lots of people follow me, obviously, online and on the podcast. And uh, you and I were just talking about this before the show. I ran for Congress last year. So we're doing a lot of things. Obviously, homeschooled all of our children. And now our grandkids are being homeschooled. So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge believer that Christians belong at the intersection of faith and culture. And so I talk a lot about that. And right now we are running the nation's largest homeschool resource center just up the road from you in Vancouver, Washington. We currently have about 700 students here. And uh, the Homeschool Research Center open five days a week. We've got uh, roughly 200 classes here. Wow. So we're trying to remove any obstacle that parents might feel toward homeschooling their kids. We want them, we want them to know you can do this. You can homeschool your kids and we're here to help you. And so, uh, yeah, so we've been doing ministry and doing life together, working side by side now for a long time. It's exciting. Wow. Well, you know, it's really interesting, Heidi. I've My my view of homeschooling has really changed over the last 35 years. So yeah. I was a public school kid. My dad was a public high school teacher. Uh, 
so I got into ministry, I got saved, I was from a non-Christian family, got saved, got into ministry like instantly, and I was like, man, these homeschool kids, they're, and this is like 1990, <laughs> they're weird, they're awkward, they're kind of arrogant, and I, I just was like, not a fan, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then yeah. around, around 96, 95, 96, 97, these homeschool kids started getting involved in co-ops. <laughs> So, yeah, and I thought, well, okay, this is this is the blending of two perfect worlds. So you've you've got, and then a lot, then a lot of these the, the homeschool kids were getting involved in sports and athletic activities at the public schools. So they had access, they had access to everything. Yep. And yep. I'm at a point in my life now, watching to listening to some of this, um, uh, what I call intersectionality, you know, garbage being strategically taught in the public schools, and I'm I've swung to where I'm more a proponent for homeschool or that I've ever had, yeah. I ever have been. I'm just, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan because uh, we don't have to sit idly by and allow our children to be uh, polluted and have their faith systematically and strategically deconstructed by the public schools. Even though I've taught or coached in public schools and my dad taught there, I'm just really disappointed uh, in that. And our public school teachers that are Christians are in the belly of the beast. And I, I'm like, oh, in man. their corner. It's the front line. I'm in the corner yeah. all the way, but they are, they've got a battle. Yeah. But all that to say, yeah. Th yeah. that's not what we're here for today. But I'm just saying, I really love what you're doing. I've seen a difference in my ministry watching what you guys have done with your homeschooling and with the co ops. I think it's been a game changer. So thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, you're well, it's exciting. And and uh, I mean, we're not obviously here to talk about homeschooling today, but I will tell you that what you said is exactly right. The public school is the front line mm -hmm. of the culture, the hostile takeover of our of our nation, yeah. honestly, yeah. in so many ways. And we're not focused on reading, writing, and arithmetic in the schools anymore because Satan understands and we need to understand also that education is not neutral. And what the school system has done now for many, many years is it's equipping parents to outsource the parenting of their children and the attack on marriage and family has never been more intense than it is right now. Dr. Dobson actually said to me, you know, nearly 17 years ago now, he said, man, Heidi, if you and Jay get the opportunity, minister to families, families are going to be what's under attack. I mean, he, that guy was ahead of his time. Uh, still is he's an incredible human being, but he was right, and we're seeing this now in the in the culture, largely through the public school system, which separates children from their parents and makes parents look to be the dummy. So you know, oh, I can't help you with that little Johnny. That let the professionals do it. Well, it's third grade math, you know, figure it out, right? It's not that hard. But I think we're so used to outsourcing everything. We outsource our kids to the youth pastor for their spiritual formation. We outsource them to the schools for their academic formation. And I think that if we brought, if we began to bring those things back in home and a husband and wife work together, we see transformation at the family level, starting with the marriage. And so that's what we focus on here at Firmly Planted Family. We focus on the marriage first. In fact, we're bringing uh, Phil Gunger here in February to do a laugh your way Phil to a better marriage. Phil Gunger. All kinds of cool stuff. Whoa. Yes, dude. Okay. Oh, you need to come out. You need to come out. He's going to be now, awesome. He's, not, he's the son of, I can't remember his name. Mark. Mark Gunger. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Who's the dad? Mark, right? And yep. Phil Mark took Gunger, over. Yep, yep. And yeah. really, Phil is doing this the very, very similar ministry. So he'll be coming here for Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And uh, and in fact, on January 6th, I'm speaking with my friend Ken Ham at uh, Word of Grace Church in Battleground. And we're going to be talking about how do we how do we raise kids to face the secular giants? And mm. we're going to be spending, you know, a couple of hours just equipping 
parents. And honestly, you guys, it starts at home. It starts at the marriage. The adversary yeah. knows if he can take out your marriage, he's got a clean shot at your kids. We've got to get back to focusing on what's really important. Well, and one of the things you use the phrase outsource. One of the things that we tell men is that men don't, males defer, men don't defer. So we yes. don't defer. So if That's you right. are, what I've told, what I tell men I, many, many times, and I'll say it again, you know, if you're a husband, if you're a dad and you've got public school kids, your teachers should in some way fear you. They yes. should fear that if they say one thing that goes contrary to scripture, that you're going to be in their office and in their ear. And I think yep. when parent, when teachers realize that, it'll change things. I think that men can be a game changer, uh, even in the public school, but they are in the belly of the beast and they are on the front lines. And you cannot, you cannot sit idly back as your kid goes to public school. You have to be more fully engaged than you ever have been in, in your life. So, but that's a whole nother yep. deal and a whole nother yeah. story. So, so you've got, so you talk, so mom strong, tell us about mom strong. Yeah. So I, I had an idea for a, a book. Um, I guess it's been about eight or nine years ago now in 2016 that published in 2017 that really chronicled my story of coming out of a broken family. So my parents, I grew up in an abusive home. My dad came from, uh, he was raised by an alcoholic father. And though my dad wasn't an alcoholic, he was a very angry person. Uh, I think struggled his, his whole life to really feel loved, never really was loved by his own dad. And he brought what little tools he had into his marriage with my mom. And my dad was an angry, very abusive human being. And by the time I was 18 years old, my parents had separated when I was 19 and I got married. My parents divorced that year. And I was diagnosed shortly after that, right around 20 years old or 21 with a very pretty severe anxiety disorder. Because when you're, you know, beaten half to death for most of your life, it actually hardwires your brain. So my brain was sort of hardwired for trauma. I was anxious all the time and I didn't have issues with it until Jay and I got married and I, and I moved out of this, you know, really stressful environment into a very peaceful environment. It's like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just, I was in fight or flight mode all the time. And I was terrified to be a mother when, uh, when Jay and I found out we were expecting our first baby, I was 21 years old and I'll never forget, uh, you know, those, those childbirth classes, you know, the ones where they lie to you and they tell you if you breathe a certain way, it won't hurt. That's the class, right? Hold on, hold on. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we that's were, right. I was in those classes, although I didn't Everything's get birth. Everything's better now. Yeah, yeah. My right. wife was just screaming at the nurse. My, but my wife did it two times without any drugs. So she's. <laughs> I'm gnarly. telling you, she's. Gnarly. I'm telling you, I did it. I did it once without drugs accidentally, and I never made the same mistake <laughs> twice. But I, I felt like I could not be a mother, and I remember, you know, this woman who's teaching these classes the very last day, and I'm looking down at this just ginormous belly and. I started crying because I thought I've never seen this done right, right? My father was abusive and, uh, and angry my whole life. And I thought I'm going to be an abusive, angry mother because it's the only thing I've ever known. And even though, you know, I, I did a lot of things. I went to, my husband went to a public school and I went to a private school and I threw myself into that private school. I mean, I did everything I could never to be home. So I ended up being, you know, the captain of the cheerleading squad. And then I was the homecoming queen and everybody, everybody saw this sort of what looked to be a very put together person on the outside, but on the inside, I was insecure. I was terrified that I was going to screw my kids up the way my felt like my dad had screwed me up. And Nola just said, you don't know who you are. God wants to make you new. And he's going to do it through the process of raising this little girl. And 
that's the story of becoming mom strong. It takes this broken one. When Jay married me, I was about as broken as a 19 year old girl could be. And through the mercy and grace of God and the loving leadership of the incredible man that I married, God has given Heidi St. John, a woman who could not keep houseplants alive and did not know how to be a mother, seven children. And it's really a story of how to fight with everything that's in you for your family and your faith and to recognize that where you came from doesn't determine where God wants to take you. And so that has been the story of my life. It's really a story of just, uh, and not every, you know, obviously not done everything perfectly. And we can, you know, spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but just how, how God brought me from this place of brokenness to say, Hey, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make you new and I'm going to make you into the image of my son through the process of being a mother and being a wife and what that looks like when you yield yourself to what God says actually works in his word. And so that's a large part of it. Um, and it's been hopefully an encouragement, I think, to it, it, that hit the bestseller list at 10 at Tyndale last year. So it's in in the hands of, yeah, in the hands of lots and lots of, of women now who I think come from a similar background. There's so much brokenness in our culture now and uh, men broken, you know, brokenness in marriages and brokenness in homes and families. I came from that place. I understand it. I recognize it when I see it. And uh, my message is that God wants to heal your marriage. He wants to He wants to make you into that man or that woman that you feel like you can never be. And it comes from the the power of the Holy Spirit and just releasing the thing that you thought was going to be your future to say, okay, Lord, I can't do it. You you get to show me now. I've tried it my way, done work. And so that's really that is the series becoming mom strong, which uh, the book I just released is the seventh book in that series. So it's been. Uh, it's been very well received and it's exciting for me to be able to write it. Okay, I, I just had a revelation. I think my wife has a quote of you from you in my bathroom. Uh-oh. Did you say <laughs> did you ever do an if conference? No, I've never done them, but I know I know the Did you, did you ever about. say something like this? Go where you're called, stay where you're put and grow where you're planted, something like that? No, that wasn't me, but I know who that was. It was probably Jenny Allen. Okay, uh, that's who it was. I've, okay, I think I've heard. I okay. think I've heard the quote. And actually, she's she's it. That's correct. That's the right way. That's the right way to look at things. And I think we look at everything through a lens of brokenness in the culture. And unless and until we learn to adjust that lens, we will never see things differently. And for me, it was a complete reframing. I can remember Jay looking at me. Uh, when we got into like one of our very first arguments and just being like, whoa, you know, how do you tame that dragon? <laughs> because I was so used to fighting for my own survival that I just like, you know, fighting is life. That's just what we do. And I am a fiery girl. Right. And so God didn't take that fiery out of me. He's refining it. And I, I love that because, it, you know, being, uh, walking with the Lord doesn't mean we turn into patsies. It doesn't mean that we, you know, we suddenly just, we, you know, it's the meek and quiet spirit. It's the, you know, I, I hear this a lot to, to women about leadership in the home with their husbands. God doesn't want to remove the fire from you. He wants to use the fire. And so I've just been, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous story, my husband and myself of, of just yielding to the Lord. And the man, that man's had his hands full being married to me for 30, 34 years. I'll tell well, you yeah, what. I can, I can relate. I, I'm pretty sure I married you as well in 1992. Well, you know, the, this is one of the problems <laughs> that men have is that a weak woman will ruin a man. 
I'm a, I'm completely opposed to weak women. We do not want weak women. Weak women aren't found in the Bible. Proverbs 31, that woman is an entrepreneur. She's not weak. She's not passive. You know, we want strong women. Strong women make strong men. Strong men make stronger women. The problem with our culture is we've got weak men and weak women growing up together and marrying and producing weakness. And so this is a problem. Yep. So yeah, God does not, God wants to take your fire that's just kind of a conflagration all over the mountain. He wants to turn it into a laser focus. And so yes. you, you said, so you, so I want to go, there's a lot here going on. I appreciate when you talk about abuse, I've got a couple buzzwords that bother me and yeah. abuse is one of them. It sounds like you were actually I think people throw the word around abuse, but when your dad is kicking you and beating you, that's it. So I oh, want yeah. to be no, careful. I mean, yeah. I had, I mean, broken bones. The police were at my house. Uh, when I was 17 years old, the, the, uh, my dad was arrested and my family was moved to a, to a safe house. Oh no, I was, so, I was gathering that from your story. Yeah, yeah. I just so want to make sure I, that we and have, actually yeah. I'm with you because for the same reason, you know, I don't like it either. It's just like, you know, I, my husband's not nice to me or we, we fight every Thursday over dinner. He's abusive. No, shut up. Like, you know, you don't know, you, you, you don't know abuse. It's insulting. So, it's insulting, right? It's it, insulting. Well, it, I just feel like we, we just live in such a weak minded culture where everything's offending us mm -hmm. and we, and we want to be labeled. Like we just love the victim role in this. And I'm yeah. nobody's victim, by the way, no, I understand. Now, I'm nobody's victim. I want to be a victor. I want to be victorious. And I love my dad. Like, I think my dad, my dad's gone home to be with the Lord. And I've written about this too. He, he died a couple of years ago. We never found the healing in our relationship that I wanted. And in fact, I was down in, uh, I was speaking for pastor Rob McCoy a couple of years ago, the weekend actually that my dad died. And I remember just because Rob looked at me and he could, I was surprised that it hurt me the way that it did, because I think daughters in particular always are longing for, and so desperately need the affection of their dads. They need to know that when, you know, I mean, dads, when you look at your little girls, she needs to know that you see a princess, that you see a beautiful girl who is worthy of love and, uh, and who God has great things for. And I never saw that. I never got that from my dad and I had wanted it my whole life. And I'm speaking, you know, for a you know pretty amazing audience in Los Angeles, the night that my dad died. And in fact, I was going back and forth to the green room just trying to get updates and and talking to my sisters. And and the next morning, I got the call that he had passed away. And Rob looked at me, and he could see that I'm. I mean, I'm. I, I really just kind of um, in a fog moved my way through the Los Angeles airport trying to get home. And Rob said to me, he said, you know, your dad never knew what a treasure he had, but he knows now. He knows now. And I think he, I needed to hear that. And so I I don't hold any animosity towards my dad. I really do believe he did the best he could with the tools he had. I would like to see a generation of dads really strive to find the tools that they need so that there are less daughters and less sons going into adulthood the way that I did. But yeah. even so, God is the healer. And that's the message. Yeah, well, I appreciate what you say there, and then I also appreciated a, a word that you threw in. You said reframing, and I think there's a reframing that has to happen, and uh, I often tell people, in fact, I had my wife on my podcast, and I apologized her publicly because I framed her poorly when we raised our three sons, and so I had to go through a process of reframing her she had to go through a process of reframing herself. And we both five years ago, I think was when I discovered, you know what? I'm a broken guy 
and my wife is a broken gal, and it's my job to find healing and freedom in my brokenness, but it's also my job as her husband to help love her through her brokenness and help her to find freedom. But the first thing I have to do there is I have to identify her brokenness. So I've I've thought a lot about this. So when you bring that up, I really do appreciate that. So when you when you think when you think about your own brokenness, Heidi, mm-hmm. you know, we got our audiences, we got women listening, but we're we're focusing on men. So how yeah. can a man who is also broken, how can he begin to identify the brokenness in his wife? Like I've got a I've, I've got a list of things that I used to identify the brokenness in my wife, but what are some things for you? Like what would you tell these men? Hey guys, look for these things. These things will help you and give you a clue as to what her brokenness is. You know, I I feel like very much for the, you know, 36 years that Jay and I have known each other, that we have endeavored and he has especially been in, endeavored to be a student of me. So he has studied me. So, you know, and it's not that we've done it perfectly. And in fact, I think more often than not, we learn from our mistakes. Well, well that didn't work. You know? yeah, yeah. Tried that. Well, that didn't work. You know, check that one off your list. But one of the things that Jay has done consistently is he has looked for strengths in me. And then he's given me opportunities to use those strengths. So rather than focus on the weakness, he has focused on the strength. So the things that he sees that are good, for example, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, because I speak for, for a living, I'm gone, you know, sometimes in the summertime, for sure, three weekends out of every month, I'm gone at different places. Wow. The reason that I'm doing that is because Jay saw a gift in me long, long time ago when somebody asked me to to pinch hit and fill in for another speaker. And I was like, mm. oh, no, I don't want to do that. No, I'm not good at that. And I've never done that. I won't try it. And Jay was in the audience. Well, the Lord just spoke through me. It was totally the Holy Spirit. But when it was over, Jay said to me, I did not know you could do that. That's amazing. You should do that again. And I was like, you know, really? I mean, I think what men need to understand is your wife is reflect. She is a reflection of the things that you pour into her. Women were born responders. We are born to respond. So we respond to the leadership of our men. So I reflect the, and, and it was actually Jay who showed me this. He was just like, I believe that my role is the sort of CEO of our family, right? The spiritual leader in our home is to be the personal development director for every person that's under my care. And so he has done that. So he has been like the personal development director of Heidi St. John. So if there's anything that Heidi St. John is doing, it has really come from this incredible man who has loved me so well. And it was Jay who said, no, you, that's not who you are. This is who you are. See, I saw myself through the lens of my dad, but Jay saw me through the lens of the one who made me. And I think, you know, you're instead of, because he could have absolutely pushed me into a victim corner. Totally. Right. But he didn't want me there. Cause he doesn't right? want to be married to that. He doesn't. He does, and men want and, strength. Yeah. And I, so I do, I credit Jay for, it takes a strong man, as you said, to be married to a strong woman and he has loved me very well that way. But I love, I loved that Jay recognized so many years ago that I would be a reflection of how well he loved me. And so, and I wasn't, when I was growing up, my mom was a reflection of how my dad loved her. Absolutely. And I was a reflection of how 
my dad loved me. Women are born responders, right? Oh, you give a woman something and she's going to multiply it. You know, mm-hmm. you give her, you give her a seed. She's going to give you a baby. Mm-hmm. You give her a house. She's going <laughs> to give you a home. Yes. Right. You give her ingredients for a meal. She's going to give you a meal, right? Mm-hmm. Women are born to multiply. They are born to replicate. They are born to respond. They are born to reflect. And when you've got a, a husband who really understands that, bam, you got a marriage on fire. That's so cool. You know, I've, I've just finished a book called Deal, uh, Dialed In, and uh, it's 20 Qualifications of a Man. And one of those is the leader. And in First Timothy, Paul says that the leader manages his household well. Well, that Greek word is prostomai, and it literally means to, it's basically, I have a wall analogy, to preside over, to protect around, and then within the house, the rooms represent this provision, and it's not physical provision. That's part of it. You know, we live yeah. in a day and age where both couples work. It's actually emotional, spiritual. It's loving each person within your home the way that they need according to how God made them and the brokenness they bring. And so what your husband did is he said, yeah, I am the CEO of this household, and everybody, you know, my seven children, uh, now my four grandchildren, my bride, they all need to be loved by me according to how God made them. So that's a, a beautiful thing. So you said, and I love this. I always tell people I have a PhD in Shanaology, which is my wife. You know, so study her is critical. And then you also said that you spoke and you were really insecure about that. And your husband kind of called out the gift in you. And so one of my things, and tell me about this, one of the ways that I love Shanna through her brokenness is I've identified areas where she's insecure and spoke a truth where that lie exists. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think Jay could have, Jay's done such a good job. There was, uh, I love to tell, you know, cause we homeschooled seven children. It's yeah. no joke, right? Yeah. That's a lot. And I can remember one time in particular, Jay came home from work and he was gone a lot, you know, during the day because he worked as a pastor and he came home one night and I'm just, I'm a mess. Like I'm on the couch, I'm crying, you know, dinners. I I don't know. I burned dinner. Or I forgot to plug the crock pot in or something. And the kids have lost their math books and there's six kids running all over our house. And I mean, I am exhausted. And he came home and he sees me on the couch and he's like, he's like, what Heidi, what, you know, what the heck, what's going on? I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm terrible at this. I actually want to do what you're doing. So you get to go away from our home all day long and talk to adults. I've got kids talking to me and, you know, and pushing me, pushing every single button that I have. And I'm just exhausted. Nothing's working. He goes, I want you to look at me. He got right down, right down. I'm, I could cry thinking about it. Cause I mean, I looked a mess, right? He gets right down. I, I, he sits on the floor, on the, on the floor in front of the couch. And so I sit up a little bit and he gets really close to me. He goes, look at my eyes. Look at, look at me. So I look at him. He goes, Heidi St. John, ordinary women would be dead by now. Mm. <laughs> he goes, there's nothing ordinary about you. Look at you, girl. He yeah. goes, I love that messy thing you're doing with your hair. I'm like, really? really? He goes, oh, yeah, I love it. I love those yoga pants. You can wear them for four more days in a row. That stained <laughs> T-shirt smells like spit up. I love it. You can sleep in it tonight. I think that's the sexiest thing you're going to wear all week. And I was like, really? well, by this point, we both know he's lying. Yeah, right? for sure. But you know what he did in that moment, rather than go, why is the dinner not done? Why why are there toys strewn all over the, the kitchen floor? Why is the house a mess? He made me want to be a better mom. He called out the good in me instead of seeing everything that had gone wrong that day. And it made such an impression 
on me. And we always had this, you know, I have, I love being a homemaker. I mean, a lot of people see me and think, oh, the author, the writer, the speaker, the podcast or whatever. If, if I could be anywhere, uh, Jim, I would be home. I love being home. In fact, I was up early this morning making sourdough bread and putting chicken soup in the crock pot. So when we get home tonight from work, Jay and I will have a meal. That's my heart. But it was my husband who nurtured those things in me by noticing on the bad days that I just needed to be told, hey, a bad day doesn't make a bad mom. You're an amazing wife. And Jay has done an incredible job of, of noticing things that are good and calling those things out. And I think when you do that, when a husband does that in the, in the, in the life of his wife, A, his children notice it right away and his sons are learning how to treat their wife someday. But B, he is really helping her be the wife that he wants her to be, right? Because in that moment, I wanted to be a better wife for Jay St. John. I want that man, you know, I take care of myself largely for him. I want him to come home from work and go, hey, I am happy to be home, right? I, I, because I know that it's going to be received and he's going to appreciate it, right? And so uh, his, I think Jay's gift in my life was largely appreciating you know, he sees something in me and he would appreciate it. And that made me want to grow it even more. So uh, to me, the miracle of my life in many ways is God bringing Jay St. John into my life and picking up this broken 19-year-old girl and uh, helping me become the woman that God saw mm-hmm. the moment mm-hmm. I was conceived. I didn't see that woman. Mm-hmm. Jay saw her before I saw her. So yeah, so that's another thing I wrote down here. So not only did he, not only should a man study his bride, but he needs to notice her. Yeah, and and those in oh, some yeah. ways are different. You need to notice things. What I have discovered mm-hmm. about my wife is I tell her I love her every day, pretty much every day, and pretty much every day I somehow make some comment about her beauty. Yes, because. Maybe this is a woman thing or this is a brokenness thing because it seems like she just forgets. Yeah. And so I'm like, look, it's hard. Look. It's hard to be a woman. I mean, honestly, the standards for women are oh, ridiculously yeah. high. They're ridiculous. I've often said to Jay because, you know, I speak for a living, you know, uh, if I and I, when I ran for Congress, if the guy showed up and he, you know, he looked a little bit ruffled, whatever, you know, his jacket's a mess. No one's going to say anything. If I show up and my eyeliner is not quite right or I look like I'm too tired, that's what they're going to write in the paper. It is very interesting. And that's a cultural thing, right? I mean, it's the culture is very hard on women with regard to beauty. But if you look at social media, what are the women trying to get? The likes on Instagram, Right. It's it's so much, and if a if a if a dad pours into his daughter that way, or a husband pours into his wife that way, she's not going to go looking for that acceptance or that or those likes on Instagram. She's going to look for them in her own home, right? She's going to look for them. She's going to look for them there. And I and I watch, uh, you know, Jay and I have five daughters, right? Our oldest two are in their thirties now, and our youngest is thirteen. So we've got this like wide uh, age. Uh, age range in our home. But there have been many times where the kids have come down the stairs, the girls in particular, the girls will come down the stairs in the morning and my husband will stop what he's doing and go, oh my word, that vision of loveliness. What is even happening? You are so beautiful. And you can see those girls. I mean, they shine like the top of the Chrysler building when their daddy says, you're beautiful. And the same thing's true. Women are born responders. And if 
if, and I think this is so largely why, you know, we, you and I talked about this briefly, this ridiculous push to feminize our men, this ridiculous, you know, uh, toxic masculinity. No, no, no. Women need that masculinity. We were born to respond to it. We are desperate to see a strong masculine man who knows how to love his woman and knows how to love his children. And boy, the culture is doing the very best it can to tear those things down. So I've been shouting from the rooftops here at my podcast now for a long time. Men, don't listen to the lie. You know, I love me some manly man. I, Heidi St. John gonna love her some Jay St. John because that man knows how to love his woman. And it's a very, uh, it's a skill that doesn't get appreciated in the culture right now. And then you see all these women on OnlyFans and you see all these girls trying to get all these likes on Instagram and yep, TikTok yep. and everything else. When if they would have received it at home, I think you'd see a whole lot less of it. Oh, you know you would. You know you would. So, so he noticed you. He studied you. If I if I were talking to Jay, at what point did he realize I married a beauty a beautiful woman who's broken, and I'm going to give my whole life to to making that to to making that uh, mosaic a beautiful picture? Like, how did he? At what point did he notice that in you? Not not the what I- you could be, but the broken part. He noticed it before we were married. So when uh, when he actually the day that he asked my dad if he could make this is how screwed up my life was. He came over and he asked my dad and I was right there. I mean, I was in the kitchen. He said, you know, can I marry? I, I want to marry your daughter. And my dad looked my my dad looked right at him and said, uh, why would you want to marry her? She's a terrible cook. If you'll Whoa. just wait for four years, her sister Heather will be, you know, Heather's going to be a, like I he mean, literally he said that. For, like yeah, he right said in front that. of me. I mean. Oh yeah. No, he tore me down. And by the time Jay left our house that night, he was in tears and he looked at me. I'll never forget as long as on the front porch of our home. And he said, I'm going to get you away from that man. And so he knew before. uh, And in fact, the summer that we got married was the summer that we, our family was moved to a safe house. It was Jay that changed the locks on our house. It was my husband who, so, and, and actually all my little sisters, and there were, there were six girls in my family and I was the oldest. Right. So, uh, Jay has been, yeah, I mean, he's been loving on those little sisters of mine, uh, also, but he absolutely knew. I don't think he knew the depth or how, how broken I, cause I didn't even know like until, until I actually got away and got, and we were married and we we're trying to start our own life. I don't think he realized the ramifications and how that would play out because I don't know that there's any way to do that, but he absolutely knew, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into it. And he came from a great house, really happy family, wonderful parents, uh, an idyllic life on big Lake Washington, you know? And so to come into my brokenness was a real paradigm shift for him. Uh, and he, he's loved me well, but yeah, that was, uh, the summer before we got married, he just said, I'm going to get you away from that man. But that was the, the, uh, can I marry your daughter story? <laughs> you know? Wow. So he knew, he knew going into it. So, so he's been, you've been married, you've been together 36 years. You've been married yeah. 30, 34. We were married years. for 34 years this past September. So we got married in 89. Congratulations. So here's my question. So if I have a problem with Christianity, one of them is we set, we think that God can fix it. We God can fix anything. The reality is things come into this world broken, and it seems like we battle brokenness all our lives. You know, Paul battled brokenness in Romans chapter seven. So would you so at what point in your personal journey would you say, 
you can turn to your husband and go, hey, I'm good to go. You don't have to love me through my brokenness anymore. At what point does that ever actually happen? Never. Okay, no. thank you. Thank no. you. <laughs> I no. agree 100%. It will, it will never happen because honestly, I mean, you, you know, it's like, it's like the Apostle Paul, you know, gird up your mind, right? Mm -hmm. You let your, your guard down or you stop attending the garden and the weeds. We live in a broken world. Mm -hmm. you, you stop tending the garden, the weeds grow right back, right? And so, and I think that's true in every relationship, certainly true. It's been true in my marriage and it's the same with Jay, right? So I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for always, hopefully not always doing it well because we're just people and every once while we have a bad night or we grump at each other or whatever it is. But uh, I think ultimately until the Lord takes us home, we're constantly tending that garden, constantly looking for ways to improve, constantly saying, I mean, uh, I think it was Ruth Bell Graham who said that a good marriage is the union of two forgivers, right? People can say, hey, you know what? Wow. <laughs> Look at me. I behaved really badly last night. I'm sorry about that, you know? And it's it's keeping those those short, those short accounts. I think we often don't realize the value of asking for for forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about the person who's like, oh, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. And you just say, I'm sorry over and over again until the sorry doesn't mean anything. Sorry I'm really saying, doesn't mean much. Anyway. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it's the, it's the action that follows the apology yes. that shows whether or not you actually meant that apology. But I don't think you ever stop. I mean, I, I feel like until, until the Lord takes us home, one of us home, we're constantly going to be uh, working to improve our, hopefully, you know, working to improve our marriage. And I hope my kid, I hope my kids are watching, you know, I think they are. You I know, it's so. interesting because there's a brokenness we bring from our individual stories. And then there's a general brokenness that we all bring. And let me, let me explain. Yep. Like for a man, here's, here's a masculine brokenness. Really? Ready? The man asks this question every day of his life. Do I have what it takes? So my mm. wife just needs to tell me I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. You're the best, strongest, bald is better than anything else on this planet. You know, she just <laughs> needs to tell me how awesome I am. But, but you know, she has a shirt that she wears every, uh, the, one of our favorite shirts for her is tell me I'm pretty and give me tacos. And so a woman, <laughs> the question that she asks is, am I good? And am, am I enough? And so yeah. all of my life, I will be speaking to the general brokenness of my wife, my daughter's-in-law, and my granddaughter and tell them you're a beautiful princess. You're beautiful. You have, you know, all my life I will do that because that is a general brokenness, but there's also this specific brokenness that and my wife, we've talked about her brokenness and I, I don't want to speak about it publicly, but you know, she's got a brokenness that she brought in specifically to her brokenness. And so being her husband, it's my job, just as your husband, it was, his, it is his job to speak constantly yep to that brokenness. What do you think about this phrase? Speak to your wife's brokenness until it becomes boring. Ooh. Wow. What or is maybe that? until what it becomes until it becomes rote. I don't rote I don't know is the rote. That, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, the the act of loving that person that God gave you, the moment the moment it just it becomes uh, boring and it almost makes me think like, you know, if it's boring, you maybe don't notice that you're doing it. So maybe it's just so, so ingrained in you that you just, that you, I, 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 boy, I would never want to use the word boring in my marriage <laughs> in, in any way, you know, but I do think, I do think what I hear you saying is, you know, speak to her until it becomes so natural that it's just something that just flows out of you. Right. Or that, you know, you're addressing 
that brokenness. In fact, what you're saying to me, I wrote it down, you know, uh, do I have what it takes? I just wrote that down that you said that because I want to remember in my head, I'm always a student of Jay and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I see that in him. I see him constantly asking that question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And so a, a, a woman who loves her, her man is going to be like, Oh, I should notice that. Right? And, and oh, let me I tell you, let that. me tell you a story. He's 56. So now he's saying it in all caps. <laughs> I'm just telling you it's happening. So just, just know that. Yeah. So you've okay. got, so, so I love that. This is yeah. encouraging and so for when, me. When I, I love that. Well, when I talk about until it's boring, what I'm saying is this, my wife should never be, no, let me rephrase guys, your wife should never be surprised by you telling her she's beautiful. Your wife mm. should never be surprised when you tell her you love her. Your wife should never be surprised when you pat her on the behind and say, man, I, st I love that. You know, I mean, I'm just saying yeah. things that are realistic yeah. things here. And so this is, the this is I think. It's true, though. But like, is it, yeah, well, isn't, right. isn't That's the, right. That's Jay's right. over there going, I can't wait till this podcast is over. You know, so isn't, isn't it? But, you know, isn't it true, though, that, you know, I read a book years ago, and it's it's not a Christian book, but it was really, the title interested me. It was called Things Fall Apart. And, and even things that were broken, that once were broken, that God has put together, isn't the propensity of our lives yeah. to fall apart if we don't have people constantly maintaining the garden? 100%. Yeah, 100%. And that, that, that we even would ever believe that we could just arrive and be completely healed. We're never going to be totally whole until we're in heaven, until we're with the one who made us. We're never going to be totally whole. But I think we can, we're always moving in that direction. Like, how can I, I mean, the, to me, the question has always got to be, how can I do better? I can always do better. Right. I mean, Jay and I had, we've had a, a rough week for a lot, a lot of different, we just got this, the, this building with, I think there are 37 staffers here, you know, uh, full time. We've got a lot going on. I'm traveling this weekend. It's been kind of a crazy weekend. And we had, we had a run in the other night. I mean, which we don't normally do, but boy, I'll tell you what, I was like, oh yeah, you want to go? Let's talk about that. Right. Well, the very next morning we're sitting down for coffee. Like he, one of the things I love about Jay's, he brings me coffee in the morning, you know, and I don't even really love coffee, but I love him bringing me coffee. So just the fact that he's like, Hey, I brought you, you know, this is your favorite mug or the one that the one that the one he brings me that says misses on it. I love that, you know, and we sat down and talked about what happened, you know? And the first thing he said was, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. And isn't that the truth? I feel like everything is harder than we think it's going to be, right? Marriage is harder than we think it's going to be. Parenting is harder than we think it's going to be. That really beautiful gift that that we just got of a $16 million building is harder than we thought it was going to be. And it doesn't negate the blessing. And so it's okay to say, this is really hard. I apologize. Yeah. Well, wow, really, I didn't handle that very good. You know, it's, I've been processing this, so I'm, I'm kind of going off script a little bit. I've been counseling a lot of Christian couples that are not in a Christian marriage. Uh, They're both Christians. They profess Christ, but their marriage is not Christian. And so I went back to Ephesians 5, chapter uh, 22 to 33. And I, this might be a book idea. I'm just trying to figure out if it's actually true. And as I'm looking at Scripture, I'm looking at what Paul is saying, and I'm realizing, you know, really the foundation of a good marriage, you know, is Christ, right? And he's also the, the target. But if you really read the Scripture, the foundation of marriage is actually suffering and then sanctification. In other words, yes. suffering is you yep. have to realize that the the sunset you're riding into is a freaking furnace, and it's and marriage is hard. And the next level up is marriage is about sanctification. It's not about your happiness; it's about your holiness. Right. And so, yep. what happens is once we begin to build this relationship, then we get to experience the levels of sameness and of security and of satisfaction. But we've got to understand there's a foundation, you know. And so, 
you know, it's hard. You marry this, you know, I married this beautiful woman, went on a honeymoon. It was horrible. Got home. And when we got home, realized she didn't know how to cook. I've been cooking for 30 something years. I love to cook. <laughs> she, you know, and I couldn't sleep on the pillows that were decorative and the duvet cover that was decorative. I didn't even know what a duvet was. Couldn't use the <laughs> towels on the rack. And I'm realizing, what did I get myself into? But what I what I needed because I thought her whole job was to make me happy, and she thought my whole job was to serve her. And see, it wasn't until we realized that we were two Christians, first generation Christians, living a non Christian marriage, yeah, and had to wow. figure that out. So this stuff never goes away, right? It's, no, it never does. But I do think it gets. I do think it gets easier. Yes, I, I for think sure. it gets easier. But but the getting easier comes because you're laying down your because it's easier to lay down your life once you start realizing. Oh, hey, this is a lifetime thing. Then it becomes easier to do that. And I I will say, I mean, for all the years that Jay and I have been married, the hardest year of our marriage. This is gonna. This most people hate when I say this, but the hardest year of our marriage was our 25th wedding anniversary. So I'm seeing more divorces between 25 and 30. It's crazy. Yep, Explain yep, why. Yep. Explain why. I think for Jay and I, we were just in a different season of life. All you know, it's, it's like we've gotten used to. So Heidi's, the, uh, you know, I'm homeschooling the kids, and Jay was a pastor, so we're living on a, you know, on a, a shoestring, really. Mm -hmm. because, oh, totally. Because of the ministry, understood. And then we lost our house in the 2008, you know, crash of the housing market and all that. And so we'd come, we'd sort of survived that, but boy, it was it was rough. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing more speaking, and what Jay was doing, he's not doing anymore. And it was like we. Just we got into this, like Jay didn't like what he was doing. I didn't like what I was doing. I can remember just going, you know what? Go back to pastoring and I'll go back to being a, a homeschool mom, which is what I liked anyway. And you like what you were doing. This whole thing we're doing right now, it's just, we were so unhappy. And on our, the night of our 25th anniversary, our kids threw us a big old, big old party. Like there's a hundred people there, people from college and Jay and I were just like, we were not, I mean, it was not cool. And we went away. Our, our kids sent us away to bend for a couple of nights and we worked it out. I mean, we had to hash that thing out. I mean, there was crying. There was realized that we'd gotten to a place where we had let things go. And now there was this shift in our marriage. Right. And Jay felt like, you know what you're doing now, but I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. And we had to get to a point where we realized, okay, work has to be done. And because we love each other, we're going to do the work. We're going to do, do that hard work. And it is hard work, but I'll tell you, I mean, you know, this, you guys have been married for a long time. When you do the hard work, the payoff is worth it. And we keep the payoff in, in front of us. But this, I, for some reason I thought, boy, if you make it past whatever they call the seven year itch, then you're fine. Then you make it to 15 years and you're fine. No, you're always working, dude. Oh, you're and I'll working. tell you what I have. I'd, I've had two if men. You're hard. Uh, yes. I've had two men call me in marriages of over three decades. Two Christian men call me. One was in Hawaii with his wife alone, whispering from a bedroom, telling me he was afraid of his wife because mm -hmm. he hadn't been alone with her for 30 years because the family revolved around the children and not the marriage. Oh, never do and that. And then I had, I had another guy tell me his little timid wife, he was flat out afraid of her. And I'll tell you what, that manifests after 30, 25 to 30 years if you're not pouring into that marriage, that you're, what I tell guys yes. is Jesus is the most important yep. person in the universe, but your wife is the most important person on the planet. And your kids need to know, my kids have, to I've told my kids, if I'm going to take a bullet between you or them, you're going to be missed. 
I love you. It'll be hard, but your mom will live. She's more important than you to me. And yeah. and until a guy can say that, especially second and third marriages. Yeah. Until a guy. Now, here's the other thing we're talking about, Heidi. If I'm trying to love you through your brokenness and I'm on my second marriage and I'm telling you, hey, my kids are more important than you. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. I've heard oh. that. I've heard that from uh, men. Well, I've Christian heard it from women, too. Yes. I, I've had uh, wives who would say to me, you know, why, why are you focused on taking care of your husband? He's a grown man. He can take care of himself. I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> That's not you're, Christian. You're That's point. not a Christian marriage. No, no it isn't. And, the, and they miss the point. I don't take care of my husband because he can't take care of himself. You know, I, I'm I'm folding the laundry and I'm doing the things that are, you know, you consider sort of stereotypical gender roles or whatever. It's a way for me to show him that I love him. It's not because he can't do it for himself. It's a way for me to lay my life down. When I'm scrubbing a toilet and I feel like nobody notices, I have to remember I'm doing this as an act of love that someone may never see, right? But it's a way for me to lay down my, my husband lays his life down for me in a hundred different ways. Yep. Yep. And I think we we miss that right in the in this culture of it's always me. It's always me. And I think men need to understand it's the little things that add up to be the big things at the end of the day. It's like what you were saying. It's like Jay came up in the kitchen like I was uh, I got finished uh, putting some some bread out last night because our daughter had a birthday this weekend. So I'll be gone speaking to Los Angeles. I'm coming home hours early so we can celebrate the 13th uh, birthday of our youngest daughter. And I was up, you know, late last night cleaning the kitchen. And Jay came up to me probably 1030 at night and smacked me on the butt and was just like, what can I do? How can I help? Dude, that that to me was worth a hundred, you know, a dozen roses that you bring to my house. The fact that you saw that I was doing something, you came up in that little pat on my behind said, I think you're cute. And what can I do? That's degrading. You're objectifying your wives. No, you're not. Dude, objectify her that's what she loves she's Love the her. only one you, you have married her she's the one <laughs> she should be the object of your affections thank objectify you your wife thank she you loves that and any woman especially a married woman that would tell you otherwise needs professional help yeah thank right? you gosh I, I this is so good i'm really appreciating I want this. my husband to look at me and say you are the sexiest thing i have ever seen every you know? day of your he life want, you, every he, day of your life every, he wants to buy me lingerie. I'm happy to wear it. I don't understand. I don't understand this this push in the culture, you know, to, you know, to 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 divorce these whatever what we would call stereotypical gender roles. God made those roles. I want to embrace a viva la difference, right? And so these were things that Jay and I have been, you know, learning through the course of, of you know, 36 you know, years of being together, 34 years of marriage now, that we're learning, like, if I meet his needs, we're wired very differently. Men and women are just wired differently. And we're not here to, you know, I love, I used to, for some reason, for about 10 years, because I wrote a book uh, on marriage. That's how I got on Dr. Dobson's show. And I had a whole section in there on sex and marriage and why I thought it was so important. And women are not seeing it the way they need to see it, right? Because a woman, in order to want to have sex with her husband, she needs to feel like she has that emotional connection. That she's I enough. I want to feel that like she's you enough. get me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I want to know that you get me. You know, you you want your wife to meet you in bed, help her with the dishes. There's the thing, you right? You just quoted but James my, Dobson. You just quoted Dobson. Did I really? <laughs> yeah. Sex begins but in the kitchen. <laughs> it to, Well, and it absolutely does. Yeah. But what I didn't want to realize was there are often times when for whatever reason, whether it's work was busy that day or the kids or whatever, we can't make that emotional connection that I so desperately need, but he needs a physical connection and he can't 
can't connect with me emotionally until I meet his needs physically. And at some point, one of you has to lay down your life and say, okay, I don't feel the emotional connection right now, but I'm going to love you in that way anyway. Right. And so we, because we, we get, we go to our little corners of marriage, right. And we will not, we don't budge. Well, you didn't get me. Well, you didn't help me with the dishes. Well, you're not, we haven't had sex for three days or whatever it is. And pretty soon you're, you're so far off into your own little corner that the enemy is just like, yes, I have you right where I want you because now the walls begin to go up. And you know what? Even in a good marriage, it doesn't take long for those walls to go up. And people need to realize that it's the constant coming back to what do I want out of this marriage? What can I do? What is it that God is asking me to do today? There's so many days, uh, Jim, that I am asking the Lord, like, help me, help me minister to my husband in a way that, that he, that he feels loved, right? Because he has a love language and I have a love language. So what's the key guys learn to speak in the language that your wife understands. If you love her only in your love language, she can't hear you. Because you're only speaking your language. So it's like we have to learn to speak that other person's language. And in my relationship with Jay, his love language is almost 100% physical. I have to learn to speak in that language. That's not the language that I speak in by myself. I have to learn it. And when he learned, when he began to learn to speak in a language that I actually understood, now you're firing on all cylinders, right? Because now he's speaking to me in a way that I can actually understand and I can receive it. Man, it takes it takes intentionality, right? It you got to want to do that. You got to want to learn that language that maybe doesn't come naturally to you. That <laughs> that is so good. Uh, you know, you said something a while back, and I camped on a little bit in my brain. You said loving them in the little things, like love them in the little things, men. In other words, yeah. those little things compound over time. A, Absolutely, a thirty-year marriage. Like we've got a phenomenal marriage that sucked at year one through five. Yeah, it, it really did. But, but once I realized, you know, God put on my heart to outlove and outserve my wife. So I started making her coffee every day. But what yeah, I didn't realize, but what I didn't realize, Heidi, was that my wife's love language was acts of service. And that coffee thing changed our marriage. Huh? Most, it's every woman. I, yeah, maybe. It's and every, and every I and, think and, so. And here's, it's acts of service. And so I would say, <laughs> men, it's not physical touch just because you like sex. That's not what Gary Chapman meant. You know, for me, it's words of affirmation. So it's really, so here's what I, I have four things that I thought, tell me what you think about this. So I have four things that I, I try to do with my bride and four things I think men should do to love their wives and their brokenness. Just tell me, and I think you've already okay. hit on these. So I'm going to say the first one, you just said it, speak her language, talking about her love language. So you hit that yeah. one out of the park. And you also said the second one, which is, and here's how I phrase it, love her in spite of herself. In other words, choose to love her regardless of the ledger. Don't keep that, you know, regardless of the love bank, love her anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so important. Right. And it's hard. It's, it's almost impossible to know kind of what's happened in the heart of your wife in any given, you know, any given moment, but she is, she will reflect you. And so if you walk into the house and you've, and you know, you're, you're catching some cold air off of her or whatever it is, boy, you can warm her up pretty quick, you know? And I think it's so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So important. That's a good one. Well, I mean, I do. I really do. You know, I really do believe that the wife is the glory of the man. Like, if your wife looks ugly to you now, if your wife is frumpy and haggard and wore out and has tired eyes, that's that's on you, bro. I mean, mm-hmm. you didn't marry that woman that way. She became that. There's a reason 
she became that. The other thing, you know, you talked about this earlier, and I just want to highlight this, you know, confronting the lies that you believe with truth. Like Jay did that really well. Yeah. You can speak yeah. in public. You are beautiful. You are yeah. you are more than this. You are all these things. And he spoke that into you. To, I mean, you clearly have a countenance of a woman who is loved well. So, I mean, I, you know, whenever I see a woman who is loved well, I want to high five their husband. Hey, good job, yeah. bro. Give him a little good game pat on the back <laughs> of his behind there. It's not it's abuse, true. buddy. It's just good game. Just good game. You know, good so game, Jay and game. I can give a little pat to each other, you know. That's right. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing I had here, and you said this also, all these things we've covered is that it's so important that we pursue our wives daily. Can you Can you just talk to the guys about this? Why is this so important to not do the monthly date or the, to pursue her daily? I hate that. I hate that. Here's our monthly date. Oh, really? Because you just lost 28 days. 28 days when you could have been when you when you could have been doing a little thing. You know those little things. It's like what you said. It's bringing her a cup of coffee. It's it's um, saying you know what? Wow. You know instead when you come home from work and especially when you've got little ones at home. This is now pro tip. You come home from work. Don't notice the mess. Notice your wife, and then she won't be a mess. Right. Oh, notice say that again. Wife. Say that again. When you come home from work and you got little kids running around and the first thing you see is a mess, don't notice the mess. Notice your wife. Okay. If I got you'll a notice your for wife, you. she won't be a mess. I got a question for you. So one yeah. of the things that I tell guys over and over and over and over again is that it doesn't matter. Everybody's all about how you start your day, all the podcasts. How do you start your day? How do you start your day? And I'm like, you know, that's great. But my question is, how do you finish your day? And so anybody can start strong. It's hard. Yeah, to I don't care strong. if you read your Bible, run five miles and, and, and take a cold plunge. <laughs> what I care about is, are you loving your, cold are you plunge. picking your kids up? Are you loving your bride? Are you, so I'm getting a lot of pushback. A lot of my yeah. blue collar guys are going, bro, I work a full-time job. This is garbage. You're a pencil pusher. And so I get a lot of these blue collar guys and you, you have them where you're at, you know, oh, that yeah. are saying that are pushing back saying, I don't have time to spend a meal a day with my family. I don't have time to love my kids after I get off work. I, I, I'm honestly, Heidi, I'm calling BS on these guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, it but, is BS. But I'm, I mean, we'll talk to it me is. about these guys that say, I don't have time for that. I work a full-time blue-collar job. Mm -hmm. Well, t you get out of relationships what you put into them, right? And so if you're, if you're working, and honestly, I will tell you that if your wife is home with children all day long, that's about as physical a job as you are ever going to get, yeah, especially yes. if she's breastfeeding. I remember, I mean, dude, I have had seven children, right? There were times Jay would come home and I'd be like, do not touch me. Do not touch me. I have been tugged on, pulled on, cried on, snotted on all day long. Like, don't touch me. I just need, you know, oh my gosh. Like 10 minutes to myself. And and actually, Jay and I got to a point because he would come home where he'd be exhausted, right? And he'd walk in the door and I'm like, yes, an adult. And I just, blah, here's my day. Blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't ready. He needed like, and I had to go, okay, what do you need? He needed like 15 minutes to just go and like change into a Superman outfit or whatever he had to do to change, get out of that frame of mind. But I'm telling you, men, it is worth it. If you can come home, maybe you need to stop off on the side of the road and just... Let your day wash off of you before you walk into the door. Because the most important thing that will ever happen to your life is not happening at work. It's happening at home. And it's what, not work. It's home. And what will you be remembered for? You said it earlier yeah. in the podcast. These men will die one day. Yeah. And there will be people weeping at their funeral. And my question yeah. is, what will their, te what will their tears represent? Tears yeah. of regret because they have unfinished business they never had with you? Or tears yeah. of mourning because they just lost the greatest man they ever yeah. lived with. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And I think we, you know, when, when you pour into the things that matter, you begin, we're all in a season. I was just talking about this on my show the other day. We're either in a season of reaping or we're in a season of sowing. And if you're a young man listening to this and your, and your wife is young and you guys are in your thirties or even your forties, for goodness sake, uh, you're in a season of sowing. And one day that sowing will be over. And you will be in a season of reaping. You will spend the rest of your life reaping what you have been sowing. And if you sow wind, you will reap a storm. And if you want to, if you want to live out the older years of your life in peace and joy and without regret, then you bust it in those years when you are sowing. And that means that that may mean that you're up. That may mean that you're up with your wife in the middle of the night with little babies and all the things. And it might mean, you know, all of the things that you just feel like I can't do this anymore. I'm telling you what, it will reap a dividend and it will yield the peace. The Bible calls it the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? That's what the Bible refers to when the Bible's talking about that season of reaping. Jay and I are in a season of reaping now, right? With grandchildren and most of our kids are are grown. And, you know, we still have the, 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 my little whippersnapper. I have one kid left at home of the seven, but we're largely in a season of reaping. And I always tell parents, especially a uh, husband and wife, Pour into the things that are the most important so that when you look back, the one thing we don't want to do is look back over our life with regret. I wish I would have loved my wife better. I wished I would have told my children that I love them. I wished I would have worked on that little honeydew list. You guys, you think that it doesn't matter. That honeydew list is gold. That is pure gold. Everyone knows, all right, that marriage is a series of uh, of interactions, right? You're either, you're either it's, a, it's an exchange. You're either taking something or you're giving something, right? And so we want to keep those accounts really short. We pour into the things that matter. And if you can constantly keep in mind, okay, what is this going to, what is this going to look like? What do I want my marriage to look like 10 years from now, five years from now, one year from now? I'm telling you what, if you keep your eye on the horizon and you realize, okay, I'm in a season of sowing right now, sow the thing that you, with the thing that you want to reap in mind. And boy, I'll tell you, there's dividends. I was just with Rob. Uh, I was telling you, Rob McCoy was here speaking uh, last week about politics and my run for Congress and all the things. And we had a whole bunch of people here to listen. And I said to him when he was leaving, I said, you know, every time I see your wife, I think you have loved her well. She radiates joy. She's cheerful. You can tell he has provided for her. He has loved her. She is loved. And because she felt that love from him, she radiates that love to other people. When Michelle McCoy walks into a room, you're in a room with a joyful woman who knows what it is like to be loved. And that really in large part, I think is credit to her husband who is obviously loving her well. In fact, when he introduced her, he's like, this is my wife, Michelle. Everyone thinks she's my daughter. She's not, she's my wife. And you can just, you can just see she's just glowing now, right? Uh, because they're our age and you get into your fifties and your wife really needs to hear it. Girl, you look good. I was always, my husband said to me the other day, I was always hoping to be married to an older woman. You are blowing my mind today, right? That's the kind of, it's the little things. It didn't cost him anything, but yep. those are little deposits that he's putting yep. into my heart, into my life. And boy, I'll tell you, the dividends are going to, they're going to come back big. It's just really interesting. I've watched my wife age with her girlfriend's from high school Mm -hmm. and to watch her exceed them in beauty over the last 30 years, it's been really interesting to watch. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you know, cause you know, they were all on the same playing field, you know, but I'm like, she exceeds them now. I'm like, what happened? 
How does that happen? How does one exceed in beauty over 30 years? I, you know what I mean? It's really interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, Heidi, there's so much. You are going to come back on my show again, and we're going <laughs> to tackle some more of this stuff. Uh, this has been so fun for me, and I love bringing strong, powerful women on our show who love Jesus and understand biblical Christianity because our guys need to hear from women like you about how they can love their brides better. And so thank you so much. How can our people get a hold of your our creeping women who are on this podcast listening? How can our how can our ladies, how can our people pick up your resources and get more plugged in to what you're doing? Well, I'm I'm lit up like a Christmas tree on on the internet. So if you just Google Heidi St. John, you're going to find me. But you can go to HeidiStJohn.com. Uh, I'm over at Instagram. And I have a, the Off the Bench podcast, which is anywhere the podcasts are available. Like you just said, coming up on 20. It's over 22 million downloads now. So it's growing. And uh, that podcast airs five days a week. My books are available anywhere that books are sold. Also, I have an online Bible study community called Faith That Speaks. I like to ask women, if your faith found its voice, what would God have you say? If your faith found its feet, where would God take you? So every single month over the Faith That Speaks community, I release a brand new Bible study for the month of January. We're going to be studying Esther. And what would it look like? I mean, that woman was married to Xerxes, right? That that was nobody you wanted to mess with. And yet God put her there and he did an extraordinary thing through her obedience. So we're going to be studying sort of the epic nature of uh, the book of Esther in January. And then every single month we release a new study and then I teach it online. And so uh, you can join that community at faiththatspeaks.com or MomStrong International. They both go to the same place. So we got a lot going on. And I hope people will check out Firmly Planted Family. That's the nonprofit organization and the Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center, which is located right here in Vancouver. And you raised seven kids. That's impressive. They're, ama they're amazing. And four grandchildren. So that's awesome. So Nobody I want to hang out with more. Uh, no offense. Nobody I want to hang out with more in the evening. Uh, than our adult children who will come over and you know sit around the house good time. You know we love our family. Well, you we know really what's do. interesting, Heidi, is that uh, you talk about reaping and sowing, and it's really interesting. So my sons are twenty five, twenty seven, and twenty nine. I mean, they're my hunting partners. Yes, uh, we just love we you know we love butchering game. We're just kind of a bunch of meat people over here. Yeah. And oh, so, me too, man. So, I mean, but what the what, vegans? We don't get it. What's it, what? I can, I don't speak that language don't, anyway. And either. so uh, when my son got married in August, and I told his uh, his his wife, who actually worked for me as my executive assistant for uh, several years, I said, "If you are a vegetarian, you're not allowed in our family." Jokingly, right. but I'm not really joking. Anyway, but it's really interesting <laughs> because we're able to reap this relationship. I've moved from this father role as my kids are in their late or mid and late twenties to a friend role. Yes, and see, I'm still yeah. their dad. But see, now it's weird because now I'm their advisor, I'm their coach. And in a lot of ways, they're coming alongside of me. We shot a buck in this hellhole this year. And my son, Darby, said, hey, Dad, <laughs> rolls of switch, man. Look who's carrying more meat now. And I, I love the fact that that they're wanting to take care of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's really cool to be able to reap. It's reaping. It's reaping that. And and so I would just, as I would echo what you're saying, Heidi, that, men, you want to reap the fruits of your labors and even though you're in the stress bubble right now and you're exhausted and you're wiped out, you come home from work, just lay on your back and throw kids in the air. I used to do that for hours. Do it. Uh, do but it. You, and you, your wife will think it is so hot. I'm serious. Really? I'm serious. You yeah, love so. on your kids and your wife is looking at you going, 
that guy is hot. That's that's literally what it is. I don't yeah, think she ever so says true. that when you're on the couch with a beer and the remote control. Nope. Is that nope. sexy? No. Nope, not sexy. <laughs> anyway, we should, do, we should do that. Go over like you can do like sexy, not sexy. Sexy? Is it sexy? Oh, is it not sexy? Oh, hold on. I got to write that down. Hey, write that down, Daniel. <laughs> anyway, is hey, hi. Sexy? Uh, no, we, we love doing surveys with the guys. So sexy, not yes. sexy. So anyway, hey, thanks so much for coming on. I had a blast. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. Let's do it again. Guys, as you know, our man laws are supplied mostly by you. You can find those man laws in my book, Man Laws, 101 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. You can find that at manarena.org. It is a free resource for you. This is man law number 37, and it says simply this, every man must squat in the woods without toilet paper at least once in his life. And I could not agree more. You've got to get out there and experience nature. Here's the life rule. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to put ourselves in situations, I think, daily where we are uncomfortable in some way or another. Hey, guys, if you like today's episode, make sure that you are following on your podcast app. Many people just listen to our podcast and move on. When you click that subscribe button or that follow button, that helps us move up in the rankings. That helps us reach more people. And then, man, we really would appreciate if you just if you would do that. So, guys, thanks so much for subscribing to this podcast. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man.